Any Santana fans? So, I remember I was in uh, college when that song came out, and I remember riding in the car and just jamming that over and over and over and over. So, you know, I, had, I developed a uh, deep love for music, uh, pretty early age, really. And uh, for younger ones, this is before we had Spotify and iTunes, of course, but. The way most people listened to the music was to listen to the radio. And so what you did, you had a lot of talk on the radio, a lot of commercials, and a little bit of music. And so you would listen for, for quite a while. You'd listen to songs and artists that you didn't like so that you could hear that one song that, that you really liked. And I, I can remember those times when I would hear a song much like the one they, they just played. And uh, I remember hearing that, and it had that kind of Latin vibe to it. And I'm like, man, I'm going to get that album. And so I would go, go to the store, get an album, and then I'd listen to it over and over. And I still like to buy my music and albums because what you end up finding are songs that they, they never play on the radio. And so you, you could listen and, and find stuff you like. The fact is, I had quite an album collection. Uh, had a lot of Elvis stuff, ELO, The Cars, Blondie, Sticks, Foreigner, Boston, The Eagles, Queen, Van Halen. I was all over the place. In fact, yell out your favorite band right now. Yeah, <laughs> I heard Pink Floyd, so I like Pink Floyd too. So, but uh, you know, and for me, I, I would listen to to the songs. I'd listen to bands. And there was a point where I would kind of go, they get me. You know, th this band understands me. And according to what was going on in my life at that particular time, there were times that the music spoke to my soul. You know, we're in this series, Beats, and, and we're looking at some of the greatest songs that were ever written. They're, they're the, the Psalms. The Psalms are written, most of them, by King David. Uh, he's the king of Israel. And the fact is, I believe these are beats that speak to your soul. If you really listen to them, you begin to realize that God understands you. See, I may not get you. Nobody may get you. But God gets you. And I want you to know that. You know, sometimes uh, people, when they're looking at Scripture, we're, we're pretty good at this. We like to find a phrase we like. We like a, a beat, so to speak. And we go, I like that. I like that. And it's a little bit like when people say, I love that song. And you'll go, have you listened to the lyrics? Because the lyrics are a little bit twisted. And I usually get a response like, well, I, I don't know about that, but, but I just love the beat. And for me, it seems like you fail to understand the depth of the tune if all you're going is for the beat. But I think people do that with Scripture sometimes. They'll, they'll take a Scripture like this. David writes, he says, I will bless the Lord all the time. His praises shall continually be in my mouth. And so we take the beat, I will bless the Lord. I'll bless the Lord. I like that. I'll bless the Lord. I really like that. I'll bless the Lord when things are going my way in life. 
I'll bless the Lord occasionally. You know, like when I make it to church once in a while, I'll bless the Lord. You know, I'm not going to bless the Lord all the time, but I'll bless the Lord from time to time. And so we take a beat, but it kind of takes that out of context. David, he writes a lot of the beats. 3,000 years, they've been big. They still resonate, I believe, with our souls. And today, the beat I want to look at comes from Psalms 142. And I will tell you up front, this is more like a ballad. It's a very different uh, psalm. The, the, the tempo, the, the cadence is a little bit slower in this one. Because David's conflicted in his life. And so David, he starts with this different beat. He says, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my what? Complaint. Before him, I tell him my trouble. David's first beat is he's complaining. It's a little different for David. In fact, I want to point David to to the Psalms that we just read earlier. You know, and say, David, wait a minute, wait a minute. I I will bless the Lord all the time. His praises shall continually be on my mouth. To which I think David would go, yeah, I know that. I wrote that song. But this is a different beat. This has got a different feel. Because sometimes, sometimes, before my mouth can be filled with praise. Before I can pour out my praise to God, I gotta pour something else out of my life so I can open my heart and do what I'm supposed to do and praise God. See, I think a lot of people get confused. A lot of people think in a different way. They think that they cannot come to God unless they're in the right frame of mind that they can't come to God at all if their mind's not set right. You know, and so what happens is people don't pray. People don't worship. People don't come to church. Why? Why is that? Well, they're trying to avoid God's presence in their life because they're afraid if they open up to God, if they tell God what's really on their heart, the fact is, that God's going to be upset with them. Some of you are going through battles in your life, challenges, trials. You're struggling. I mean, some of you are, are afraid to go to God and just let it fly. You're afraid that, that if you tell God how you really feel, that, that God can't handle it. And I, let me tell you, it's kind of funny that we even think this way because the fact is God already knows how you feel. God already knows what's going on up here and in here. But for many of us, we're hesitant. We're hesitant, and and I think it's connected to our upbringing. You know, I I don't know, maybe you can identify with this, but when I was a kid, my my dad, uh, if I was crying or whining, my dad would say, if you don't stop whining, if you don't stop crying, 
what? I'll give you something to cry about. <laughs> I mean, my, my, my dad was great. And I get what my dad was getting at. But see, maybe we feel like it's inappropriate or unacceptable to just crash in on God and start complaining and griping about things. But that's exactly what David does in this psalm. He starts out complaining. And in fact, if you read the entire psalm, and I'd encourage you to do that this week, at the end, David hits the beat and he says, God's been good to me. God's been good to me. And so I hear these two positions here, and it seems incompatible to me. If God's been good, what do you have to complain about, right? And so many of us remain silent. Some of you are afraid to complain to God. You're afraid to complain about your job, about your kids, about your marriage, about your situation. Because in your mind, you think, if I complain to God, God may give me something to really complain about. You know, that we're, we're afraid that if we do that, that God will go, suck it up, buttercup, you know. So instead of complaining, what we do is we distance ourselves from God. We don't say what's on our heart. And friends, here's what I've learned through the years. In the presence of God is the only place that it is really safe to complain. The fact is, if you do not learn to pour your heart out to God, that stuff will spill elsewhere, somewhere else, on someone else. I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, where else can you go but into God's presence? Where else can you go but to the one that created you and designed you and called you and sustained you? I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to go post your troubles on Facebook? You're going to tweet them? Friends, when you enter the presence of God, I would encourage you to not bypass your emotions. You you come to God from where you are, not where you'd like to be. I mean, be honest with God. It's safe. It's okay to go to God and go, you know what? I'm mad. I am hurt. I am frustrated. I am sick. This is tearing me up. You know, I want to bust some heads. I feel cheated, God. Say it. Start where you are. The fact is, maybe you've had one of those weeks or one of those days, and you feel alone, and you feel like you're not even sure God cares at all about what's going on. Then you start there, and you say, God, I can't feel you. I'm not sure you even care. And you just say it. Friends, you cannot get 
to the attitude, the mindset that God desires for you to have, you cannot get there if you don't start with where you're at right now. David starts there. He says, I cry aloud to the Lord. That's an interesting word, the aloud. Because the fact is, according to how you spell it, it has different meanings. You know, in other words, you are allowed to complain aloud. Early, early in my Christian walk, I struggled with this. I mean, I struggled a lot with, with this in the, the sense that uh, I'd have all these things going through my mind, things that I was feeling, things that were troubling me, but I wouldn't voice them. And, and my mentality was, why, well, I, I can't say that. I can't say that. And friends, as long as I kept from voicing that stuff to God, resisting, saying it to God, the enemy's got a stronghold on you. That's what I realized. Some of you are angry. Some of you are frustrated and hurt and bitter. Some of you are battling with jealousy in your life. Friends, some of you are not being honest with God, and I will tell you that's why you're stuck. Some of you are just upset inside. Some of you are worrying and fretting. And the fact is, when you pray, what you're doing, you're simply closing your eyes and calling it prayer. And I want to say, stop doing that. Some of you need to not just close your eyes when you pray, but you need to open your mouth and you need to say, this is what's on my heart, God. You pour out your complaints your disappointments, your troubles, whatever it is. And I will tell you, this isn't just being emotional. This is being strategic in your life. You shout it out to God. See, to, to fully understand this psalm, I think you have to understand the situation that David's going through. Da David's running for his life. We, we talked about this last week. Remember Saul, who's the present king of Israel, David, David is the anointed, the future king. And there comes this point that Saul wants to kill him. He wants him out of the way. And it says, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. David's in a battle. David is winning the battle, but he does not realize it. And so consequently, David ends up in a dark place, a depressed place, but God's there in the cave. David's under attack. He's hiding there. And there's something about a cave. The acoustics are good in a cave, aren't they? Here's something just tucked back in. The fact is some of your greatest moments in your relationship with God they're not when you're being crowned king or queen. Some of your greatest moments in life will be when you are hiding and you are deeply struggling and in despair in your life. You know, David, David is a giant killer. David's anointed to, to be the, the next king of Israel. 
David has a calling on his life from God. But at this moment, David's hiding out in a cave. He's in despair. His calling is in conflict with his circumstances right now. That's the situation. And that's when David starts pinning the words to Psalms 142. See, David, David's hiding in Gath. If you know a little bit about history, this is Philistine territory. This is the enemy's territory. David has escaped to a safe place. It's a cave in Adullam. Now, a couple things. Adullam is about two miles outside of Gath. It's near where David defeated Goliath. It's a hiding place for him. It's a place he does not want to be. It is a place he does not belong. See, David can't stay where he belongs. He belongs in Israel. He belongs to be the king there someday. But Saul wants him dead, so he, can't, he doesn't fit. And he can't stay with the enemy. You can imagine. I mean, he just killed their, their greatest warrior, Goliath. And I, I, so I was reading that, and I think, have you ever felt like you don't belong somewhere? You don't fit? You, you don't fit where you came from? You don't fit where you are? You don't fit where you're going? You're too religious to be worldly? Too worldly to be religious? Oh, there, that hits a nerve, doesn't it? Something to think about. David, David escapes. That, that word just jumps at me, escapes. I mean, it's, it's how we use music sometimes, don't we? We listen to it over and over. It's an escape. It's what we do with TV when we binge watch episode after episode after episode after episode. It's an escape. You know, surf the web for hour after hour after hour. It's an escape. Alcohol, drugs, pornography, sex, escapes. Friends, whatever it is, we all have things we escape to. But I challenge you, wherever it is you're going, wherever it is you're running, that you assess where you're going. Because what sometimes that thing you run to, it's a safe place, but it'll end up trapping you. It'll become a prison to you. You know, David, David escapes from Saul and he runs to Gath. David, David's in the cave of Adam. It's a safe place. Now he's trapped in that cave. He can't leave the cave. That's what he's complaining about. David knows he's supposed to be the king. David's safe. But David is stuck. 
So I often wonder, I wonder if David, I mean, it seems to me he's not surprised by the enemies that have surrounded him. But I think David is shocked by the friends and the people that are not around him. He writes this, the next verse, he says, when, when my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my ways. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. Look and see. There is no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. David was not expecting that it would be easy to be king. David did not expect to become king and ascend to the throne without fighting a lot of battles. But David was expecting that his friends and the people that he fought for, the people of Israel, God's people, that they would have his back. And David starts looking around and he says, there's no one. There's no one at my right hand. And he's shocked. Have have you ever been shocked in your life? You look around and you go, where are the people I've helped? You know, where's the people I have prayed for? Where, Where are the people that I was there for? And friends, I will tell you, it's a lonely place. David, he's alone in this cave. It's a place of deep despair for him. Not because he's surrounded by trouble, David's struggling because he can't find any support in his life. David's looking for a hand, and he can't find one. Look and see. He says, look and see. There is no one at my right hand. Those are his words. Now, if you read on, we find out that his brothers finally show up, And his mom and dad, in fact, the entire household shows up at the cave. And I think, well, why why is David struggling here? And, And here's what I think, okay? This is my thought on this. David's surrounded now. His brothers are there, mom, dad, people of the household. There is a difference, friends, between being surrounded by people and being supported by people. Big difference. Now, David, maybe he wrote this part of the psalm when he was alone, you know, before his family showed up. Or maybe David wrote it when they showed up. I mean, I don't know. Nobody knows. But here's what I do know. The Philistines were his enemies. They want him dead. David's family had discounted him. They discounted him as a possibility to be the king. King Saul had actually turned against David. And this is even when David is faithfully serving Saul. He's serving the kingdom of Israel. So he's being pursued by the Philistines. 
He's being pursued by Saul and the Israeli army. And now, I think, he's being pursued by his family for what they can do for him, for them. You know, maybe David's thinking, oh, I, I, I get it, I get it. You've come here because you know I'm really good with a sword and I'm really good with a slingshot. You need me to defend you. You need my help. You ever felt like that? I mean, some people only call or show up when they need something. You don't hear from them for months and months and months, years, and they show up. And in your mind, you're thinking, oh, man, give me a break. Tell me what it is you want. I know you're not here to see how I'm doing. David's surrounded, but I think David doesn't feel supported. See, it's not that he's not getting any emails. The inbox is full. It's not that he's not getting any texts. I mean, it's blowing up. It's not that no one's making contact with him. It's just the contacts are transactional. What can you do for me? See, it's not that he doesn't know anyone. He realizes nobody knows him. Look at the text. He says, nobody, nobody's concerned for me. No one. He doesn't say nobody came. He says nobody's concerned for me. I have a crowd around me. Who really cares for me? If I couldn't provide for them, would they care? It's getting quiet. See, that's when I know I'm on to something. You hear it? It's like the funeral vibe. Do you ever wonder who's concerned for me? I, I, I do sometimes. You know, I wonder, I wonder if I couldn't speak, if I, if I couldn't help people, if I couldn't connect people to God and make, make that an easier transition for them, if I, if I wasn't a pastor. See, I wonder who would be concerned for me. And, and don't misunderstand me. I, I, this is nothing like what David's going through, but what I'm saying is I can relate to that, and I think you can too. You know, it, it's a feeling that every husband can relate to. It's a feeling that every wife can relate to. You know, it's a feeling that every friend gets. You know, and I know it's a feeling that every parent has from time to time. I mean, that you can relate to that. Is anyone really concerned for me? David, David's alone in the cave. Then, then his brothers, mom and dad, and the household show up. Everybody needs something from David. And I'm sure David's thinking, thanks a lot. <laughs> Let's read on. It says, all those who were distressed or in debt or discontented 
gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. David says, there's no one here. Then God sends 400 of the most desperate thugs that you could find. I imagine it was a little humorous. And God says, you're not alone now, David. You have company. (laughs) I heard you, and I sent backup, make room, because there's a bunch of them. And I wonder at that point if David was going, but God, I don't want them. (laughs) What David does not know, God was giving him a winning hand here. These men would be the same men that would help him ascend to the throne. These men were tough. These men were desperate, but they were dependable. In fact, if these men hadn't been so rough, they wouldn't have been so relentless and been able to do what God had in mind for them to do. I mean, these men were chosen by God. These men were the men that David needed, and it was part of God's plan. And here's the deal. If David had not escaped and been in that cave in Adullam, if he hadn't been there, these men would not have shown up. And here's what I want you to understand. Some things only come together when you're in that cave in life. When you're in that desperate place, that dark place, where you are alone and you feel alone. And because it's in that space that you will finally say, God, I need you. And God will say, now that you know that I'm what you need, I will give you what you don't even know you need. I mean, some of you, more than anything, need to open your mouth and stop pretending and get real with God. Get real with God. Take your complaints to God. Take your faith and take refuge in God. Because it's in that cave, when you're alone with God, that you have what you need. I mean, it may look like a bunch of distressed people, that are in debt and discontented about life, but those men are a mighty army that God is raising up to take David to another level. Some of you, you have what you need where you're at right now in your life. You are not stuck. It is not over in your life. God's just beginning. I mean, Saul can't kill David. God's hands on him. David is alone But he's not alone because God's there. Some of you feel alone, but you're not alone. God's there. God always can be counted on to be where you are. David is winning. He just doesn't know it. And I want to say to some of you, you're in that cave right now. But you're winning. You just don't have a clue. God's preparing you. It says, from there, David went to Mitzvah in Moab and said to the king of Moab, would you let my father and mother come stay with you? 
Now, just a little genealogy here. David's great-great-grandmother was a Moabite. So he has connections in Moab. Moab was not a horrible place, but it wasn't a good place either. David, this man after God's own heart, this man that, that honored God throughout his life, David chooses Moab to be a safe place for his mom and dad. Here's the tension that we miss. In Moab, they worshiped lots of gods. Friends, sometimes you go places to survive, and what happens is those places imprison you in the process. David says, to the king, would you let my father and mother come and stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? That's surprising. I want to go, David, David, you're destined to be king. You remember that, right? The, the king of Moab, Moab apparently says, okay, agrees to it says, so he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him as long as David was in the stronghold. David remains in the stronghold. Now, a stronghold is not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, a stronghold is a military term. It's a fortified place where opposing forces cannot get to you. You know, a stronghold can be a good thing, but a stronghold can also imprison you. Story goes on, verse 5, it says, But the prophet Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold. Leave and go into the land of Judah. So David left and went into the forest of Hereth. The prophet Gad, this is the second time he showed up for David with words. And he tells David, he says, do not stay in the stronghold. Some of you today need to hear that. Do not stay in the stronghold in your life. It is a setup. Because if you stay too long, it is a trap in your life. You know, think of a a stronghold not as a physical location, but a state of mind. See, a a stronghold is usually something that you ran to to protect yourself. It can be like a dangerous pattern of thinking. It's something that keeps you from moving forward. Spiritually, it paralyzes you. It, It keeps you from taking risks that God calls you to take. A stronghold can be a safe place, it is, but it can be a prison in your life. Let's see how real we want to be this morning. If you're a pessimist, raise your hand. If you're a pessimist, all right, if your spouse is a pessimist and they won't raise their hand, give give them a little encouragement. Come on, this is interaction. This is just an example. See, it's an interactive message here. Let let me tell you why you're a pessimist. 
It's a defense mechanism. It's designed to protect you from being disappointed in life. And so it goes something like this. You know, I, I, I got let down one time. I did not like how that felt. So I kind of expect people suck. And then when they do, I'm not upset. <laughs> and I would tell you it's fine to be realistic, but when you develop a pattern of pessimism, neurologically in your brain, spiritually in your heart, when you hide in that stronghold, because that's what it is, it protects you, but it also traps you. See, you've created a new reality for yourself. It's projected by your expectations. You're not surprised when life sucks, when things turn, go bad. But your life sucks because you're really not prepared to be surprised by anything except that the world's broken and nothing works out. Friends, when God wants to show you goodness in the land of the living, you can't see it. Why? Because of the stronghold in your life. And there are lots of things that fall into this category. See, the pessimism protects you from disappointment, but I would argue it imprisons you in life. It's how strongholds work. And there are lots of things that fall into that category. David, David's hiding. David's in a safe place. David is now in this place, and he can't move forward. David has a battle to fight in Judah. He doesn't even know it yet. David is winning, but he doesn't realize it yet because he's stuck in this place. You know, the army of God's forming, but David couldn't see it because he's in the stronghold. There are things that have surrounded you things you cannot see because you're stuck in the stronghold, whatever it is. And friends, if the prophet says, go to Judah, guess what? You get up and go to Judah. And some of you need to start marching toward Judah in your life. In fact, you need to run as fast as you can. You know, Judah, it's interesting. Judah represents praise throughout the Old Testament. The word Judah actually means praise. See, when I start understanding that, I understand what David's doing in Psalms 142. I understand what the, what the prophet was saying to David when, when you read 1 Samuel 22. You know, David says, I'm leaving the stronghold. I, I'm going to move and step outside myself and how I feel and what's going on. I'm going to move past all that stuff. I'm going to move past my circumstances, and I'm stepping into my future. And he starts marching that way, and I just wonder, does anybody want to go to Judah? 
See, you don't get to Judah. You don't get to that, that point of praise. The fact is, you will not see or do what God wants you to do as long as you stay in that stronghold and you stay in that dark cave of life. There comes a point where you have to leave that place and you start heading toward Judah, a place where you can be blessed, a place where you can be crowned in life. See, David starts the psalm. He's hiding out in a cave. David's complaining and he lets it go says what he needs to say, but at the end of this, he comes to praise. He starts the psalm. He's beaten when he starts it, or so he thinks, but he ends the psalm with a very different beat. You know, he, he starts the psalm hiding in a cave. It seemed like a safe place, and it was for a season, but he ends the psalm knowing that God will keep him safe. And he writes these beautiful words. I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge. You are my refuge, God. You are my refuge. See, David started with complaint and he ends in praise. You're my refuge in this and some of you, I would challenge you this week. You need to get honest with God. You need to set some time aside and just say what's on your heart and dump it out. Don't worry about filtering it. Just say what needs to be said. God's waiting for you to say that. Some of you are stuck. That's why, because you're not taking that step. Some of you have been hurting and you've been hiding in a cave. And I don't know what that looks like in your life, but I know some of you have been there for a long time. And I will tell you, it is time to step out of the cave and start marching toward Judah, toward your future, toward what God has for you. You know, and so I'd encourage you, if that's where you're at today, you've been in that cave a while and something just sparked and you're like, okay, take the step out and praise God today. Praise God. See, you cannot stop where you start. Whatever that situation is, you can't stop there. And you can't stay where you are. You can't. You can't do that when you're in the presence of God. You need to come before God. And if God's whispering, march, you march. You put one step in front of another. God has a plan. God can be counted on. And so let's stand and we're going to worship today. There'll be prayer teams down front. You know, maybe just need prayer today. I'd really encourage you, if you're in that dark place, struggling, frustrated, you don't have to say anything, just say pray for me. Let today be the day you start that walk. And maybe, maybe you're not ready. Well, then spend this week, spend the next couple, whatever. Keep pouring it out to God till God says, move forward, move forward. So let's, let's bow in prayer. Our holy God, God, we praise you. And God, I know there are some here today, God, I pray that... Uh, 
your Holy Spirit would just assure them it's okay to say what they need to say to you. That they're stuck. And the only way they're going to get unstuck is to pour their heart out to you. And God, I know there are many. They're in that dark place. They're in that cave. They're in that stronghold. They can't take a step toward their future because they're afraid. God, I pray that your spirit would boldly say to them, get out of the cave and march. Go toward Judah. That you've got their path. That you'll be there. That you'll protect them. That you'll give them courage. But they've got to step out. They've got to take that first step. And that they do that today, Lord. God, we're thankful that you love us so much. You take us where we are brokenness, beaten, frustrated, angry, mad, jealous, bitter, and that you'll love us where we're at, that you love us too much to let us stay here. God, I pray that this week would be a new day. I know there's someone here that needs to hear that, Lord. We all need to be reminded. So today, Lord, we march toward Judah. And we give you the praise and the glory with all we say and do. And all God's people said.